Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Certainly always want to welcome our online guests as well. Thanks for joining us. Man, what a time we've been having with tale as old as time, right? And we've got an old tale as well with uh, Beauty and the Beast coming up next weekend. So be sure if you haven't bought your tickets to go ahead and get those because uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, as you can tell from the performance uh, this morning. So tale as old as time, we've been um, trying to discover these common Bible stories, particularly from the Old Testament, that tell a great story that's valuable then and still valuable today. And they're fun stories. I hope you've been having fun with them just like I and the other clergy have as well. And the story today, as Pastor Doug mentioned, is really a highly familiar story that I'm convinced whether you grew up in church or not, in Sunday school or went to vacation Bible school or not, you've probably at some point heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. In fact, the reality is you've probably heard not only the story of Daniel in the lion's den, but also Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? And for many of us, I don't know about you, but for me, I sometimes merge those as a kid. I just kind of thought that was all the same stuff, right? And then when I got into youth group uh, at our home church, Kay and I grew up in the same church, uh, we had a youth choir and we started in middle school just like they do here. And, and uh, we did a, a play or a musical way back in the day. It was, I think, 1978 when we did this uh, musical called It's Cool in the Furnace. This is a, a brief little deal of the, It's Cool in the Furnace was written. That 35 anniversary edition, by the way, was around 1999. That was the 35th anniversary. Uh, this was written in the early 70s. We felt like we were on the cutting edge in 1978 when we were singing It's Cool in the Furnace. But there's lots of fun songs in that uh, musical. There's lots of fun action in that musical. And it was great for a youth choir, right, a church youth choir. We had fun doing it. And I just wanted to let you see what your pastor and his future spouse look like in that day. So here's the choir. This is a, we used to do uh, uh, summer musicals to raise money as well. That's me in the front with all the hair. And then Kay, Kay is up in the top left-hand corner. That's about 11 or 12 years before we got married. We met each other at church, met each other at youth group, and uh, had a great time together. Every summer we would go uh, sing and we would go do mission work, and it was a lot of fun, just like our church youth group got back from their mission trip and singing and helping and serving other people. So it's always fun to get together. But these stories, Daniel in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, they have something in common too. Not just the same book, but man, there's the same kind of philosophy about why these tales as old as time are important to us. So in both of these stories, one in chapter 3 and one in chapter 6, they tell the story of a king who sets rules. They're two different kings, mind you, at two different times. But they have rules that we all have to abide by, right? But Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't want to do that. So there's a form of civil dis disobedience. They're going to go against the king. They're going to uh, not abide by whatever the law or the rules are. And then, of course, there's consequences, uh, either the fiery furnace or the lion's den. And then, of course, there's salvation. So in each of these two stories, there's this powerful semblance of commonality that continues to teach us great and wonderful lessons even to this day. And they're both in the book of Daniel, which is a fascinating book. In and of itself, Daniel is a highly distinctive book in all of Scripture. Just a couple of those distinctions. So it's the only book in all of the Bible that's written half in Hebrew and half in Aramaic. The first chapter and chapters 7 through 12, or 8 through 12 are in Aramaic, and chapters 2 through 7 are in Hebrew. And so right off the bat, you begin to go, oh, golly, this is a, a bit unique. I know you don't read it in Hebrew or Aramaic, 
but you begin to realize there's some differences and there's some distinctions. And then the book is cut almost literally right in half, chapters 1 through 6, with these powerful stories that we remember, even from childhood, the fiery furnace and the lion's den. But then in chapter 7 through the end of the book, chapter 12, it's all about apocalyptic writing. And apocalyptic writing is very weird. Apocalyptic writing means to unveil or to reveal. It is a kind of revelation. In fact, Daniel in the Old Testament is the equivalent of revelation in the New Testament. It's got all this imagery and these metaphors and this understanding that things are going to come to an end, things that we know and things that we don't understand. And so when we read these chapters in Daniel, that's where it gets confusing. And most of us just quit about chapter 8, right? Because we love chapters 1 through 6 and the stories, but chapter 7 through 12 goes into all of this stuff that doesn't seem to make sense and I don't understand it. But the good news is of all apocalyptic writing. All of them point to a future that is good. They all point to the way that God desires for us to go. So whether it's the the book of Daniel or whether it's the book of Revelation and some other apocalyptic writings throughout uh, both the Old and the New Testament, they're all trying to point us to a good end, to God's preferred future. It's just a little hard to understand every once in a while. Now, Daniel has these great stories, and so I want to spend some time uh, in chapter 6 because it's in the lion's den that we learn some wonderful lessons about how we, in our modern-day time, can remain faithful, how it is we can commit to God and see this hope that God's calling us to. So it's an interesting story beginning in chapter 6. Daniel, has, uh, he's a good friend of the king's. The king loves him, has, has lifted him high in his ranks. But some people in the king's ranks don't like Daniel, right? Because he's a Jew and they don't want that. And so they begin to conspire against him. And one of the things that they do is they have the king uh, sign an edict that would make any king feel good. The edict said, hey, if anybody over the next 30 days is praying or honoring anybody else other than you, king, they will be thrown in the lion's den. Well, you can well imagine the king would enjoy that, right? I got 30 days of everybody loving on me and everybody praying to me and everybody, you know, pointing their attention towards me. So the king signs it. He has no idea that it will catch up Daniel in trouble because he actually likes Daniel. That brings us to verse 10 of chapter 6. And this is what happens to Daniel. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted... He continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising God. The conspirators came and found him praying, asking God for help. They went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal decree that he had signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man except you for the next 30 days? And anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den. Absolutely, said the king, written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and Persians. And then they said, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, ignores you, O king, and defiles your decree. Three times a day he prays. Catch this. At this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix that he had put him in. 
you begin to wonder how much the king really liked Daniel. And we begin to see just how much it is. The king worked at it the whole day long. But then the conspirators were back. Remember, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve so loyally saved you from the lions? The king really likes Daniel, right? O king, says Daniel, live forever. My God sent his angel who closed the mouths of the lions so that they might, so that they would not hurt me. I've been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I've done nothing to harm you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken up out of the den. When he was hauled up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love that story because it, it's a tale as old as time, right? There's a, there's a kingdom, there are rules, there are ways of being. And when we don't follow those rules or when we don't follow what we're supposed to, there are consequences, right? But we learn so much from Daniel, not just here, but throughout the whole book. But man, this particular occurrence helps us tremendously to learn ways to find God's preferred future, ways for us to discover hope by faithfully following a God of love and life. So I want to just spend a few minutes talking about some of the lessons we can learn from Daniel, because that story we learned as a kid, and we learned that he was courageous, and that was good, and we need to be courageous. But even for we adults, there are still further lessons that we can learn from Daniel that help us be as faithful as we possibly can. Here's what I believe we learn. The first, it starts right off with Daniel. Prayer is a lifeline. Prayer is a lifeline. Notice Daniel knew that the decree had been signed. He knew that the, the, to, to defy this would be to uh, possibly die in the lion's den, right? But he prayed anyway. He went to serve God and connect with God and be in relationship with God in and through prayer. It became literally a lifeline for him. He prayed three times a day, as was the Jewish rule. He prayed toward Jerusalem, which was a guiding principle, and he prayed regularly for and to the lover of life, God. And what we begin to see is, man, there's something about prayer that's important. There's something that we can glean from praying that helps us. I know often we think to ourselves, golly, I'm, I got too much to do. I'm too busy. I can't pray. Or I, I don't know how to pray. I'm, I'm not really sure what the words ought to be or when I ought to do it or how I ought to do it or how does this all work? And so sometimes we just, we just don't pray. What I want to suggest that Daniel teaches us is, is that we ought to use this as a lifeline to God. He believed that prayer was more important than his own life. 
That's how much of a lifeline it was. And all I want to suggest is prayer is a connecting point to God, right? There is no proper way to pray. There are no right words to say. There is no appropriate time. It's all good. Any way that we can connect with God as the lifeline of life, that's a good thing. And so I just want to suggest anytime we're feeling sort of unworthy or like maybe we don't know what to say or how we're supposed to pray, just start. Just start and discover that relationship. Because a part of what Daniel realized was whatever was going to come, lion's den or not, travesty or not, difficulties or not, I'm going to remain connected to my lifeline. I love the way James, uh, the brother of Jesus, did it when he wrote in his letter. He simply said that when a believing person prays, great things happen. Do you believe that? I do. I don't believe everything always works out the way I want when I pray. I don't believe I always get everything I ask for when I pray. But I do believe great things happen when I pray simply and solely because I'm connected to God. And when I'm connected to God, I know my life source. And so do you. I want to encourage you to find ways to pray. Whatever works for you is fine. Wherever you do it is fine. Whatever words you use, however you do it, Just use it as the lifeline. It became Daniel's lifeline. Second thing we begin to learn from Daniel is this. Commitment has cost. (laughs) Pretty hefty cost for Daniel, right? Go into the lion's den from which no one ever returned, right? Part of what we begin to see is that commitment has a cost to it. This is real in all of life, whether it's in our workplace, in our home life, uh, in in the community. We know that Anything that we're committed to takes time and energy and effort. It it takes all of who we are. But it also points out that, man, every once in a while there are ramifications for my commitment. In this case, commitment to God. For us, commitment to Jesus. There's a cost involved, right? Um, That cost can sometimes be hard. It means people may not necessarily like us, necessarily want to hear our thoughts, may not understand the ways of Jesus, but Jesus knew that there was a cost, right? Luke chapter 9 tells us when Jesus was talking to a crowd and there were several who said, I want to follow you, Jesus, and I'll come and do what you do, Jesus. Jesus kind of paused and said, look, if anybody wants to come follow me, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and then follow me. That's the cost, you see. The cost is I can no longer think of myself I can no longer place my needs above Jesus' ways, right? That's a part of the cost. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this better than perhaps most of us, right? He knew that he was compelled and called to offer a prophetic word in the civil rights movement. He knew that he was called to share this good news, which was sometimes bad news to folks. But he also knew there would be a cost. Whether he was riding from the Birmingham jail or whether he was um, killed in Memphis, he understood what his calling was, and what the cost was. As early as 1909, Mahatma Gandhi, who was neither Christian nor a Jew, but who knew both the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, as early as 1909, Mahatma Gandhi was using this very story from Daniel chapter 6 to point out that he and his work and the collective work of those in India who were trying to bring rights to the natives 
that civil disobedience peacefully would need to be required, just like Daniel did when he prayed to his God. There are sometimes costs involved with commitment, and God calls us to stand firm, to stand strong, to remain committed to the cause of our God. That's what Daniel was doing. He was praying, he was seeking strength, and he was doing what he knew should be done for his faithfulness. I wonder, could we be that committed? Is that something that we can strive for? God is calling us to that. We've got to find better and bigger ways to remain committed even when there are costs. Here's what Daniel also teaches us. Faithfulness has its benefits. You ever heard that phrase? Faithfulness has its benefits. So Daniel's praying. He's praying consistently. He knows that what the cost will be. He stays committed. And then he recognizes the benefits of what this faithfulness will bring him. I don't think he went into this naively. He'd already had a certain experience with a different king, he and his friends. He already recognized that uh, he didn't understand necessarily what the end goal, what the end uh, might look like, but he recognized that there might be benefits. Now, for him, the benefit was the mouths of the lions were shut, right? He didn't get eaten. He got to be pulled out. But a part of what he's saying or helping us to learn is faithfulness has the benefit of the strength and the presence and the comforts of God. I don't know that whatever lion you face, their mouth will be closed. I pray that that will happen for you. But what I know is that when I pray and when I remain connected to God and when I am committed to God's cause, that my faithfulness and your faithfulness will bring reward. That reward is anything from a peace that passes all understanding to an inner assurance that God will never let you alone to the strength and the resolve to know that you can get through whatever lion's den you're facing and God will help you through it. You see, faithfulness has a reward and it has a, a great sense of God's presence in our lives. That's why Daniel could keep praying. That's why he could even uh, know that when he got thrown in the lion's den and the, and the uh, seal was put on it and the signet was put on it, that somehow God was gonna be with him. You know, the apostle Paul who went through lots, beaten scores of times, arrested and jailed several times. When he wrote to the church at Rome, there was so much richness in what he wrote there. But in chapter 8, there's this powerful truth in the 31st verse that just says, now what are we to say about all these things? And all these things are his imprisonment and, his, and the bad things going on. What are we to say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, when we know this, when we internalize this through that connection with God, through our prayer life and through our spiritual practices, we begin to recognize, man, no matter what may come, I can at least see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can at least recognize that God is with me and for me and will help me. Because here's something we all know. We got lions. We're in the midst of a lion's den, every last one of us in some form or fashion, in our home life, in our professional life, in our community life, we face lions all the time. I want to challenge us to remain faithful and know that God is with us 
and God is for us. And ultimately what Daniel teaches us really is that hope carries us through. You know, hope is what gets us up in the morning, right? I can look forward to this day because I have hope. I can look forward to this next challenge even because I have hope. I have hope that God's with me. I have hope that God's for me. I have hope that somehow God's going to work me through this lion's den, whatever it is. And that hope helps guide our every thought and encourage our every word. I don't know what was going through Daniel's head when he was down in that lion's den. I can well imagine certain things. But he always managed to have hope that God would get him through and God would guide his steps. Paul knew this, right? So when the Apostle Paul is writing again to the church at Rome, as he's kind of wrapping up his message and kind of help the Romans understand their faithfulness, he says to them in Romans chapter 15, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace so that your hope may overflow with the richness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need hope a lot. I need to know that somehow, some way, God's got my back. That somehow I can rely on God's presence and God's strength through thick or thin, through whatever lion's den I'm traversing, right? And hope really picks us up and helps us to know that we can make it, that we can get there. What Daniel ultimately teaches us is his allegiance is to no one else other than the God who is sovereign. No kingly leader, no public leader, no other course, but our God is sovereign. Now, sovereign is just a great big old word that means God is big and God can handle it and God will provide for us, right? God is sovereign and the God who created all the earth and all the universe, put stars in the heaven and the sun and the moon and all the sky and the light and all of that, that God, that God is sovereign. That God rules over all. That God is above all and in all and through all. That's what Paul meant when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. I love this. Go read Ephesians chapter 4 today. But in part what it says is that the God and Father, the one God and Father of us all is in all and through all and above all. That's the God we serve. That's the God that Daniel trusted in. That's the God who helps us know that in all of creation, God is sovereign. But in all of God's mighty deeds of salvation, God is sovereign too. The way God helps us, the way God encourages us, the way that God makes a path where there seems to be no path, the way God can provide where there seems to be no other way forward. That's the God whom we serve. And that God will help guide us just like he did Daniel. You know the outcome's Pretty obvious, right? Daniel gets out of the lion's den. He gets saved. All of his commitment, all of his prayer, all of his faithfulness, all of his hopefulness, all of it paid off. But it paid off for more than just Daniel. It paid off for the entire kingdom. If we were to read just a few verses later, take note of what the king does who loved Daniel, who wanted him to be saved but could not overcome his own decrees. But when Daniel is saved from the lion's den, when Daniel's able to come forth, having been committed, having been faithful, having served God and prayed to God and having the hope of God, this is what the king does. I now issue this command. In every region of my kingdom, all people must fear and revere Daniel's God because he is the living God. 
God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. Here's the proof. He rescued Daniel from the lion's power. The king, the ruler, the boss, the big man, he gets it. He is converted, (laughs) and he now understands he is subservient and below the king of kings and lord of lords, and therefore he finds himself following Daniel's God, but not just him, right? He's the king, so he gets to say to everybody else, you too ought to follow this God. You too ought to be of his kingdom, all because of a simple prayer and a commitment to that prayer, and a faithfulness to that God, and a hope and a trust that would never be disturbed. I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if if we could trust that way. If we could believe prayer could do those things. If we would have faith enough to trust in a God who can get us through our lion's den. I bet the world would be a different place, wouldn't it? My prayer for me and for you is that we will place our hope and our trust in the God who is committed to all of humankind and who loves all of his creation and who is determined, bound and determined to see it righted wonder what it would be like if we were committed to that God, if we were faithful to that God, if we had hope in that God. I'm grateful for Daniel, that he understood his calling and that he prevailed in his ways because it gives us hope for the future. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of Daniel for his wisdom, for his courage, for his teaching, for his insight, for all the ways that he helps guide us even to this day. God, thank you that we can indeed have hope in you. Thank you that we can remain bound to you through our prayer life, through our faithful commitment, and through our desire to trust you with our whole hearts. God, we're grateful for this day, and we're grateful for the gift of Daniel. May we have his courage and his hope. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.